morning. Uh, we, we are entering into our eight-week series on the core values that uh, our church has adopted. And if you go to our church website, uh, actually, we, we listed all of them. And uh, we're updating our website to keep it fresh. And we have our calendar, um, past messages, announcements, uh, pictures. Um, I like to put the pictures of all our elders up there if they would allow me. But we're going to that's going to be our biggest fight this year, I think. But, but, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, we're, today we're hitting this first uh, of eight, and the value that we're talking about today, it's, it's Bible-centered. And you're like, why is that important? Why is that a core value? I know we're a church, and isn't that a given? And um, that's what we'll be talking about this morning, and if you could just, just, just follow along today's message. If you have a Bible, you might want to just keep track. There's going to be a lot of verses we're going to be going back and forth in. But uh, let me just start with the story. 1979, October 30th, I was on my plane ride from Korea to America. It was awesome. Never seen anything Western, and we're sitting on a plane. My brother's sitting next to me, and they serve breakfast. And I'm used to rice, seaweed, kimchi, you know, and all that stuff. They put before me these three round bread pieces. And I'm like, oh, there's like a little cup. I, okay, that's milk. And then they, they, they brought this little square plastic thing with brown liquid in it. So I said to my brother, who's only four years older, what is this? <laughs> and he goes, are you so stupid? This is all in Korean. We, we weren't fluent in English back then. He goes, it's juice. And he goes, watch. And he opens a lid, and he starts sucking this thick, viscous liquid. And you can see looking back, this pride kicks in because he knows he's wrong, but he can't be wrong for his little brother, so he drank the whole pack of syrup. And I said, oh, and I was about to do it, but this is how I know God is real. The stewardess came at that exact moment and said, oh, no, 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 no. Syrup, and she proceeded to open my packet, pour it over my pancake, and then show me how to eat it. Now, now let's be honest. Is there a right and wrong way to eat syrup? No. I mean, I mean seriously, let, is there a law that says you can't drink syrup? No. But how many of you would really, really raise your hand and say, I would drink syrup if I could? Really? So there, so there, are, some things, there are some things that we may not all agree on. There are some things that are less black and white, and there are some things that are black and white. Drinking syrup, I'm going to leave it up to you. There's no black and white. But I would say voting, majority would probably say, I'm not drinking syrup. <laughs> uh, so I want to say there are things in life where we have that dilemma. What is right? What is wrong? How do I live? Uh, how much of it is just do it as you see fit? And how much of it does give us a boundary and guardrail? You know, on highway, there are guardrails. You hit that, it messes up your car, doesn't it? But what does it prevent from messing up your life? <laughs> Guardrails destroy your car so that you don't fall off and destroy your whole being. So what are these things in life that, that keeps us from going off the edge? That it's not just whatever we see fit. And what we say as Reformed Church, as Christians, we say God has given us his word. We do not live as we see fit in our own eyes. Every time you hear that phrase in the Bible, by the way, something bad always happens. And they lived as they saw fit in their own eyes. I bet you you don't teach that to your children. 
Children, here's a new rule of the house. You do as you see fit in your own eyes. Yay! Syrup! You know, and all that stuff. So the Word of God is so powerful. It's not just a reference book, but it is God's gift to us to say, this then is how you shall live. And before we react to that in this postmodern society of, well, the Word of God also says, you know, women should be this, or foreigners should be that, and uh, God destroyed this. And before we get to that, just let's just sit with that thought that God has given us something so that we don't choose in our own opinions as, and we see best fit in our own eyes. J.I. Packer, he's a famous writer, and he wrote this, he wrote a book, and this is what he says. If J.I. Packer says, if I was the devil, this is what I would do. One of the first aim I would do would be to stop people from digging into the Bible. Knowing that it is the word of God, teaching men to know and love and serve the God of the word, I should do all that I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalents of pits, thorn hedges, and man traps to frighten people off. He's saying, if I was the devil, you know what I would do? I would make sure people do not have any access or have any literacy of the word of God because now they could just fall into these traps left and right. And you're like, but people are not that stupid. And George Barna, Barna Research Group, did a survey of Americans in 2009, and this is what he found out. This is his words. Bible reading has become the religious equivalent of soundbite journalism. You know what that is, right? You know, you just, you don't listen to the whole thing, you just look for soundbite and you put it in and make your own story. When people read from the Bible, they typically open it, read a brief passage without much regard for the context, and consider the primary thought or feeling that the passage provided. Now listen, it, this is his research result. If they are comfortable with it, they accept it. Otherwise, they deem it interesting but irrelevant to their life and move on. There is shockingly little growth evident in people's understanding of the fundamental themes of the scriptures and amazingly little interest in deepening their knowledge and application of biblical principles. Let, let me just summarize that. People read the Bible today in America, 80% Christians. And they read it and they say, oh, that's interesting. If, it, if they don't like it, they're like, irrelevant. And they pick and choose. And what happens is, as a result, in America majority, we don't have a principle of what the word of God says about matters, we have made up our own story. We are the community that lives as we best see fit in our own eyes. That's what we have become in 2009. So the word of God is vital. Are we people that just corral and we say we are smart, we could decide what life is and we could figure out how to do it? I, it's not that I have no trust in humanity. I have no tra trust in my sinful heart, nor do I have trust in the sinfulness of man that's still prevalent to think of something more righteous than what we could conjure. So, when you look at the Westminster Catechism, which is one of the confessions in our book of confessions, you know what the first thing that the Westminster Catechism talks about before anything else? It talks about the Bible. So somebody wrote this, why would you start with the Bible? Why not God, Jesus, cross? Those are very important. And he's not saying 
the Bible is more important than that. But this is what somebody analyzed and wrote. All other doctrines and teachings of the confessions fully depend upon the scriptures as their ultimate source, as should our lives. What he's saying is Westminster Catechism starts with the Word of God because everything else that we talk about is sourced in the Word of God. So if you don't believe in the Word of God, everything else is opinions or stories. And he's saying that's not only for the Westminster Catechism, but is that true of your life? Is your life founded on the Word of God and how I live flows out of that? So I want to share three things why the Word of God is important to make it a little practical. Why is the Word of God so important in addition to what we have already said? And here's the first thing. The Bible gives us, it's the only book that gives us the full picture of existence from beginning to end. It's the only book that has a beginning and the end and tells a story that's all together. Let me try a little experiment for you. I did this with my staff. <clears throat> and then he patted me on the back and we shook hands. I love that look when I always use that. People are like, what is wrong with you? What did you just get? You just got a sound bite, didn't you? There was a bigger story, was there not? And all you, got, all you got was a little story, and you're saying, that's frustrating. So here's the full story. I was at Kathy's parents' door, and they were filming a TV show right across the street. So I took my kids, and we went over to look. And then Henry Winkler was standing right in front of me, shooting a film, and I said, the Fonz! He filmed, he came out, and then he turned around, and I said, I am a big, big fan of you, Henry Winkler. Can I take a picture of you? He said, sure. And he hugged me, and we took a picture and then he patted me on the back, shook my hand, and we said goodbye. Now, which version did you like better? <laughs> Can I tell you something? The Bible shows us that your life is just a little mist that appears and disappears. But the Bible shows us there is a greater story, and guess what? You are not the center of the universe. Amen? I am not the center of the universe, but we believe we are. God exists for me. The solar system exists for me. The Milky Way exists for me. The government exists for me. My neighbors exist for me. My children exist for me. And the Bible shows us, <clears throat> shh, there's an actual big actor in the story, and it's not you. <laughs> it's as if I was in a movie, movie shoot, and I was that little extra walking in the background of the street, and like Brad Pitt is the main actor. And then I say, guys, you have to see this movie that I'm in. And then after the movie, they're like, where were you? Oh, was that one guy who crossed the street? How was I? Wasn't I great? And I look so foolish because the story was not about me. You know who the story is about? It's about God. And the Bible shows us God created it. God was there. God made it. God saw it. God redeemed it. God is going to bring it all to his glory. And we are just this little part. And the Bible shows us that. So in, in theology, there's this thing called general revelation where you can look at the world and realize there's a God. But there's this also a term called specific re revelation which shows us that God tells us he's triune. He has a son named Jesus who is God who died for us on the cross. And because of our sins, we need to turn to him and he'll forgive us. And he will bring all of this 
to his redeeming glory. How do we know that? The Bible shows us that. So this full picture of God brings us to an awareness, and how do we have that? It's through the Word of God. It's not through Bible stories. There was oral tradition a long time ago, but that was the Word of God held so well, generation to generation. Today, the Word of God is in your hands, and God is saying, this is the full picture. So that's the first reason why we need the Bible. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about this church. We've got to keep this church alive. Who says? You say? How about the head of this church? <laughs> what does he say? We've got to do this for our church. Who says? Remember, we're just a little sliver of his story. Amen? That's the first thing. Second thing, oh, this is, this is the meaty part. If you can remember this, the Bible is much more about our transformation than mere information. Can you say that with me? The Bible is much more about transformation than for information. See, in 2 Timothy, we read this Bible and um, there's a crisis going on. There are deceivers, mockers, and they're brewing. And Paul's final charge to Timothy is, they're going to go from bad to worse, Timothy. There's deceivers, there's mockers, there's evildoers. Here's how you live. But as for you, go into the desert and stay sinless. <laughs> it doesn't say that. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that these, those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's more than information that he's gotten. He's transformed in his life. And then he says, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. That means God inspired it. God ultimately wrote it. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The problem in our culture now is we read the Bible as information. Um, you could have all the best Bible study you want. You know who actually, recent study, this is scary, you know who knows the Bible most in America? They did a survey and test. One test showed which type of people knew the most about the Bible. How many think Catholics? How many think Christians? How many think college students? You know who number one group that knew the most about the Bible was? Atheists. Atheists came on top on every Bible fact above Christians. It's not just about information. It's about transformation. So when Paul talks to Timothy, he's not just saying, remember and memorize it. He's saying, be transformed by it. Live it. Correct people through it. Teach people about it. Train people in it so that there be transformation. He says in Romans 12 too, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know. So there is this transformation. So Bible is not about, well, I read it. It's boring. You're not 
reading it for information. So here's a question we ask as a result of this. And this blew me, this little question messed me up. It messed me up a couple weeks ago. Don't ask questions of the Bible. As you read the Bible, what questions is the Bible asking of you? What is the Bible asking of you? Don't just go, I don't like this Bible, or what does this mean, or or like there's this issue, or what is that about? But before you get there, as you just read it and say, God, this is your word, what is the Bible asking of you and your life? When you read the Bible through that lens, there is something unsettling, isn't there? And the reason why is because, someone put it this way, when we read the Bible as it masters us, as opposed to us trying to master it, we feel unsafe. You know why you feel unsafe? Say it with me. No, you don't have to say it, but just, we like to be in control. We want to control the Bible. We want to control our lives. And when we read the Bible, we want to maintain that control, and the Bible tells us to live otherwise, contrary to us, we don't like it. Can we be honest and say, we like control? And one of the reasons why we look at the Bible and we don't get transformed is because we don't submit to it. We're going to do a study with a core group of some group of people and young adults, and there's this book called Celebration of Discipline, and Richard Foster says this, our general mode of reading is to perceive the text. Um, Now he says, the second act of submission is to the scripture. As we submit ourselves to the word of God, living, Jesus, so we submit ourselves to the word of God written, the scripture. In other words, you know how you know you submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He's the living word. How we live that out, it's how are you submitting to the word of God as it oversees your life? It transforms you. It just doesn't grow in knowledge. But when we say, God, what questions are you asking of me? There's something that shifts. Thirdly and lastly, we're going to talk more about this in the other core values, but let me just end with this. The Bible helps conform us to become more like Jesus. I've been meeting a lot of people who say this. I can't be like Jesus. That's Jesus. And I want to tell you, that is so far from truth and reality of what God has done. We are called to be like Jesus. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And we all who with the unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into great people. Are being transformed into good mothers and fathers. Listen to what we are transformed into. Into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. You know what this point is? If you're a Christian, you know what your goal of your life on this side of heaven is? For your being. It's not healthy. It's not just wealthy. It's not being a good person. Your goal is one. To become more and more like Jesus every day of your life. To think like him. To serve like him. To love like him. To teach like him. To treat enemies like him. To see the church like he does. So the goal of us is not to just be good churchgoers and live and die and go to heaven. That is so shallow. It's too narrow. I mean, that's really self-centered. 
well, I go to church because I know when I die, I'll go to heaven. And I could be a jerk for the rest of my life because I know I still got a ticket to heaven. Well, let me tell you, if you understand 2 Corinthians 3.17, your goal is to look like Jesus every day. How is that working? And you know the power of it? It's the Holy Spirit that does it in you when you place yourself before the Word of God and before His presence. And you think of yourself as this lump of clay. And you say, here I am, a lump of clay. Mold me and form me by your Word, by your Spirit. And God will transform you. That's spiritual practice. So, we're going to touch on this one theme verse later on. But Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, you know, we like this verse about missions. You go out, going to go therefore into the world, and we say, yeah, Africa, China, Mexico, Canada, LA, wherever we go, we just go. But you, you know what Jesus actually emphasizes? It's not just the going. He actually doesn't emphasize that. Did you know that? I'm going to talk about that in evangelism. Going was not, we've converted the translation to make it go. That wasn't the emphasis. The emphasis was go, therefore, and make disciples. And then he says this, just in case you don't know what that means, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow. So it's not just to go, you're going to hell, here's Jesus, he died for you, here's a track, go to heaven, say this prayer. But it's go as you are living, make disciples, teaching them God's word. While we're out of church, how are we doing with that? Teaching the word of God to one another and to the next generation so that we realize this is God's gift of how I calibrate my life. If we feel convicted, that's a good thing. And we say, how do we grow into that commission? So the questions we ask are, how is the word of God shaping our leadership? our committees, our church? How is the word of God shaping you? And I want to just leave with those questions. Is the word of God shaping you? Or are you just trying to play religion and go to church and be nice? You say, Jesus, I got this. You stay back. I got this. Because I'm good enough, strong enough, smart enough, rich enough. Or do we say, like Mary, I just sit at the feet of you, Jesus. Make me more like you. I want to end with this anecdote that's really popular, just to stick it in, just, just to, because I love this story. It's, it's not a true story. They found out it's not true. But um, since it's Veterans Weekend, let me end with this. In U.S. Naval Institute proceedings, the magazine of the Naval Institute, Frank Cook, illustrates the importance of obeying the laws of the lighthouse. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron have been at sea, and they've been in maneuvers for several days. And then shortly after dark, on the lookout of the wing, reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or is it moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant they were on a collision course. The captain then called a signalman, signal that ship, we are on a collision course, advise you change your course 20 degrees. Back came the signal, advisable for you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain's getting angry. I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees, I'm a sea, and then the response was, well, I'm a seaman, class two, 
you had better change your course 20 degrees. Talking back to the captain. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse. Change your course. Can I ask you something? Do you have a lighthouse? Or do you feel like you're the captain? Do you have a reference point of truth? Or are we just making up the rule as we go along? Because we're just good enough. We're smart enough. God has given us an anchor foundation for how we live. And our church has taken on this value to say, in all that we do, it is not by our intention even, the word of God will shape us, will guide us, and not only will we live it, we'll obey it, and we want to see God shape us through it. All scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we just still before you, Lord God, some of us might be jumping into this idea, like, I'm going to start reading the Bible five chapters a day. Before we try to problem solve, can we confess to you, God, your word is alive. Your word is true. Your word has power. As Hebrews says, it cuts like a double-edged sword right through the bone and the marrow. And God, we submit to you and we submit to the word and say, God, Show us the way. So, Lord, as we sit here before you would, you, would you just seal all these things in your truth, and would you allow us to honor you, God, with our lives. May your word truly shine a light to our path and guide us as we live our lives, as we become more like you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.